Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 22 of DC Comics News Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, joined by the stupendously satirical Steve J. Ray and the Hello. brilliantly bona fide Brad Flicky. Hey. And I gave no time for either of you to say proper intros, so I'm just going to say, Steve, quick check-in. How are you doing today, sir? I am absolutely Steve-tastic, my friend. Well, I, I don't think there could be a more perfect way for you to be. Brad, can you follow that up with anything else? Or... Hey, no, nah, I'm doing good. Steve is glad to, glad to have you back after missing last week. So I know. I had, I had to do family things, but they were great. And yeah. I'm doing comic family things, which are going to be just as great. Yeah, yeah all right. And on a personal note, you allowed me to refer to somebody I know as being on holiday. And being from the States, it's just not something I get a chance to do, but I could say that to people and almost feel like there was an authenticity to it. It was true. Well, then with that, let us maintain the fidelity of authenticity. Today we'll be talking about everything from Shazam to Suicide Squad to Swamp yes. Thing, Superman Family, Pennyworth, TMNT with Batman number three and more. But. Let's go ahead and just dial it into our first one on the movie news side of things with DC Comics. And its biggest current success right now, Shazam. Its Blu-ray has just announced that they will have lots of deleted scenes. And for a movie that already came in somewhere in the 132-minute range, the announcement that 20 to 24 minutes of deleted scenes will be added to the Blu-ray... Uh, Brad, I'm going to go ahead and drop in with you first. What did you think about this announcement? Oh, uh, I can't wait. Uh, you know, you can describe people as charismatic, but I found Shazam as a whole as a movie was charismatic, and it left me wanting more. So 20, 24 more minutes of bonus features, uh, I'm all for it. And, you know, the, one of the scenes apparently is between uh, the Mary uh, and Billy, that's supposed to be really heartfelt. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, I, I think the cast had such good chemistry. Who wouldn't want to see more? Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Um, Mary is the same, second longest running of the Marvel family. So to have a heartfelt scene between Billy and her added, um, whether it's just as like an extra scene you can watch apart from the film, maybe they do like a, director's cut and insert it back in and whichever way they do it, i'm happy but an extra almost half hour of stuff shazam stuff super shazam stuff s -s -s fantastic well it's difficult to follow that but it is easy to agree with what you were both just pointing to i mean one that great scene the fact that I mean, who doesn't want to laugh for an additional 20 to 24 minutes or feel those great heartfelt sort of pangs that the movie I know brought about for me and also have it mirrored against that great comedic feel and timing that that it did so well. And also to have this chance to kind of see how much more of that relationship couldn't make it into the original film. But because of this benefit of the Blu-ray, you know additional deleted scenes we get to experience it where i like this story pointed out in the past this is something that would have been lost to us and now we get the benefit of experiencing it because the value is recognized not only by the industry but because of the fans who support and ask for it each and every time um 
I'm really excited and uh, looking forward to the fact that that can be an additional 30 minutes of just loving these characters, which already is, you know, pretty easy to do. Did anyone Great else want character. to? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> I was just going to ask, did anyone want to add in after that? Because um you know i'm sure we all had plenty of great moments to to reference to no just happy that they're going to see more of it because like brad said it was such a fun film um and it's one that literally the whole family can watch apart from maybe the, the tiniest tiddlers that anyone over the age of eight or nine We'll get a lot out of that movie and kids love being scared. And I think that the portrayal of the seven deadly sins was just on the cusp of acceptable for, for kids of that age. So I think anyone with a family, that's, that's the film to see right now above virtually everything else that's out there and comic book fans get something out of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's funny that you should say family because when you consider family entertainment, usually that means something for the kids, but Shazam is one of those things that truly is for the family. Adults and kids can all get something equal out of it and enjoy it. And that's not necessarily something that you see a lot these days. So it it's, truly it's is about a the great only film you can say that of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's rare that you can say it was such an almost equal quality, right? I, I felt that there were right, moments yeah. that I identified with you know so clearly as an adult and yet the kid in me was just kind of like oh man that's that's my shazam like that's that's my marvel family that's you know mary and the gang and oh wow you know that's that's everything that i you know loved about it as a child being reawoken through this experience when i'm watching the movie uh yeah yeah, thanks for bringing those parts in guys i really love to you know get a chance to just kind of harken back to what i think you both identified as being really important elements of the spirit of the film and uh those cannot be understated nor should they um happily moving right along to uh another example of dc's you know growing success and it's moving forward with its uh best directions james gunn shares this storyboard moment picture image your choice of word from his upcoming suicide squad and really you have to look at the picture to uh to do any sort of justice to attempting to understand what this means in regards to storyboard so i'm gonna let brad and then steve do theirs and then i'll do mine and then you're gonna look at it and at some point we're either gonna all agree disagree or sound really fun doing our best trying so brad can you start us off (laughs) you know i'd be interested in your guys's input as far as who you think this character was (laughs) uh i i think that it's it's I think he was kind of poking fun at his own drawing abilities in the Twitter post. Uh, When you cut right down to it, though, you know, this is what makes social media fun. You can get these little hints and they can drop little hints of the production and what's going on. And, you know, when you cut through the trolls and the nonsense in the Internet, these are the things that make it fun. So it was fun to see and, you know, just happy that the production is moving along. But really, I have no idea what character this was that he was trying to draw. Steve? Uh, just looking at that picture, <laughs> I now want a James Gunn and Tom King 
drawn comic book. Have you seen Tom <laughs> King's sketch covers on, yeah. on his social media? Uh, yeah. These two guys need to get together and draw a comic book together because I just think that would be absolutely incredible. Um, to me, it could be... Um, I'm just trying to be kind here because that's the worst kind of bad drawing. Um, Clayface, maybe. Uh, yeah. Some kind of blob thing, man, creature, something. But I, I, I just love social media because of stuff like this with the, the creators. And he's a hugely talented writer and director. He's just saying, well, I can't do everything. I can't yeah, actually right. draw. So <laughs> I'm not perfect. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I, listen, James Gunn, Suicide Squad. Pff, I, I was signed up the minute I heard it. So whether he can draw or not, I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Absolutely. Seth. Yeah, I also had to just have a bit of a... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, part of me tried to go through what we've already, you know, been talking about so much when it comes to this, you know, possibility of cast, you know, who's going to be the characters and and who will be playing who. And, And with that in mind, there's so much ambiguity that sure, like, Immediately, my my mind goes to yeah, Clayface, Idris Elba is Clayface. What a great voice! What a great. It wasn't presence. just me who thought that. Yay! Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. And then also just sort of like, okay, so who else do I know that that could be you know uh, popping up in here? And we've got a couple of weird characters who, based on your interpretation, can kind of warp reality just a little bit, right? Uh, you know we've. We've got one or two, you know, for the most part, what we've been talking about, whether it's Peacemaker, uh, Harley Quinn or Jai, they're, they're, they're pretty much stand up. But then we were kind of getting out there a little bit, you know, with some of the possibilities. I feel like, wasn't it Polaroid Polka Dot Man that was that was out there? Yeah, Polka Dot um, Man, Rat Catcher. Right. And uh, <laughs> who was the other you just said, Steve? The Rat Catcher. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So, you know what I mean? Like, Ratcatcher immediately is, like, a neat kind of idea because depending on how his costume is, like, this sort of, like, rat furry boot stepping over somebody's head or, you know what I mean? There's there's a couple of... But, yeah, I I really feel like there's a great sense of mystery. And I also sort of love the the, the picture that came with that story where Gunn's kind of, like, got his fingers to his head. And I'm thinking to myself, what's that mean? What's... what's Suicide. You know what I mean? Oh, that's such a good eye. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? That's got to be some kind of hint. Yeah, there's got to be a teaser there. Well, it's... it's Either that or he's drawing... Either the drawing's so bad he wants to shoot himself. One of the two. (laughs) I can't decide. Well, yeah, or not only that, but I I mean, for the fun part, just, just because one of me... One side of me went, what if that's just like, I'm getting inside my own head? Or I'm giving you an example of what's going to happen when one character gets inside somebody else's head or has that ability to sort of, you know, dig in a little bit. Uh, Because that was one thing that I liked about the original Suicide Squad is when we could see which characters could get under the character's skin. You know, there were some where they would clash and you would immediately see the others like dealt with you before. But then as soon as another character pops up and gets under the skin, you're like, aha. Now, now we get to see, you know, whether it's Will Smith pushing Diablo just a little too far. And then after he mm-hmm. makes him explode going, hey, I, I was just trying to get you there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can get under your skin. I'm not trying to make this worse. But at the same time, I could do it. You could blow off everybody else. You could get rid of Joel Kinnaman. You can brush off the others. But when I got under your skin, it worked. And you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think there's a really fun thing that, that could be hinted at with that relationship because these guys are smart. And they're 
they're yeah. very clear that if they're going to leave us with images, we're going to go all over the place with them. <laughs> yeah. Deep. In a we good and bad way. <laughs> like um, Damien. Exactly. Thank you. That's going to be fun to come back to that concept of Damien. And I'm sure you guys know the story <laughs> that we're going to be talking about in just a bit. Mm-hmm. But since that's the uh, two stories we have right now for the film side, of DC Comics News. I'm going to go ahead and give us a quick pause before we move into TV and streaming news because let's be honest folks, we all got to pay the bills. This is just going to be a quick break for an sponsor announcement. Thanks for bearing with. We'll be right back. Hey there everybody. This is Josh Rayner, editor in chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And we love your patience as much as we love that you're back with us to dive right in to TV and streaming news. I'm here with the always brilliant, always engaging Brad and Steve as we talk about the Superman family animated series that almost was. Such a great conversation, such a great interview. My thoughts are brimming and almost boiling out of the top of my head while I try and get the lid back on. I'm going to ask Brad to start us off. Brad, what were your thoughts? I think it's a shame that this was uh, not a reality, that it was never, you know, never picked up. Uh, The idea of kind of harking back to these Silver Age stories is such a good idea. And the style looks great. Um, it's just it's just a shame. I would totally watch this. And these days we would have a very good home on you know the DC Universe streaming service. And the fact that they were going to include some you know Mr. Mitzelplick and Damian Wayne, John Kent, and these characters, it's just I'm sad we're missing. We're not getting to see this. Agreed, Brad. Uh, uh, it's so sad when you see something with so much potential not get off the drawing board because um, unlike Mr. Gunn and Mr. King's drawing attempts, that that whole style that they was they, they were touting for this series just looked so cool, so quirky, so charming. And like I said, the, the Super Sun series, um, even though it was cut short and now they've got the 12-issue mini, that whole relationship between Damian Wayne and Jonathan Kent's fantastic. And to have the whole family and Lois and Superman and everything else in an animated show. Um, I mean, how much fun was um, Justice League action? Like 10 minute snippets, which are just pure action. Having a fun family cartoony Superman show when I, I know people keep saying that we've seen Superman enough. We've seen Batman enough. Give the other characters a chance. But I miss having a Batman cartoon. I miss having a Superman cartoon. And that would have been a different way to broach it. So, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of sad that we didn't get it. So, you know, things happen. We waited six years for season three of Young Justice. So maybe it'll still 
come one yeah, day. And that's what I was wondering, too, is, I mean, I, you know, maybe putting this out there, somebody at Warner will pick it up and say, hey, you know, this deserves a second second go around. I mean, just that interview alone got me more ex- excited yeah, for it. But yeah. reading the, the article on the website, I thought, oh, man, we've missed out on something great here. Yeah. And DC has such a great history with animation, as is. This would just be just another notch in its belt. I can't help but agree, Steve. It sounds like you have more to add. I'm not going to cut I'm you off. Can't ahead, be my... touched. Can't be touched. For when it comes to animation, Marvel might have the the stranglehold on the movies, but when it comes to the animated movies and the TV shows, um, yeah, DC all the way. They're awesome. And with that in mind, the idea that Brad already brought up and, and you've both spoken about, you know, at, as being one of those great core elements, not only the cast of characters, but bringing forward some of those great Silver Age over the top stories, these opportunities to really stretch it out there and have whether the crazy invention, the crazy characters, the crazy plot, uh, the out of this world sort of opportunity to just sort of throw everything to the wind and say but what if and then keep going from there and as mentioned with this cast you know whether you're talking about the relationship that we've already seen from super sons with john ken kong keenan getting a chance to bring in the superman of china getting a chance to have mitzaplik natasha irons who for me was one of those parts that made me collect all the pieces of 52. I mean, her relationship with John after seeing him sort of as this standout from that reign of the Superman storyline and being one of those characters who kept sort of really growing and not just becoming, uh, you know, uh, an unfortunate casualty of, well, that was a thing that happened. And now that it's not happening anymore, uh, no one really talks about that character. He he really continued to just be this great presence. And through him, Natasha, it was really just so much fun. I would have loved to have seen her animated and the style you guys were talking about. It felt like somebody just went and found Bruce Timm Superman anime. It was like, hey, and this is me just giving it a fresh splash. There you go. Yeah. How's she look? What yeah. do you think, huh? All I really did was give her a wash and buff up with the chrome and a little bit of the wax and... You know what I mean? It just showed. And I love the idea that that also was this uh, suggestion about how so many of the animated titles recently have really fallen on the darker side, which is good to have that that sort of element involved. We need to know just how far the anime can go on the darker end. But this wasn't going to be that it was going to be that very, I think, similar to Shazam family friendly approach where you could sit down as an adult with someone younger, as someone younger with someone older, and you're both going to be laughing and you're both going to feel heartfelt. Um, any thoughts in regards to those ideas as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I agree. But I... With these characters, they're so classic. Sorry, Brad. Um, oh, they're no, so sorry. classic. Superman, Batman, they've been reinterpreted and redone in so many different ways. I mean, you've got the Max Fleischer cartoons. You've got the George Reeves, you've got the Christopher Reeve, you've got the Henry Cavill to have that other new fresh version of it. And, you know, we've had Batman, the animated series, Batman beyond and the brave and the bold. I mean, as different as you can get. So yeah, Natasha Steele is, who's every bit as cool as her uncle was, if not cooler thrown into the mix. Superb. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think this would definitely fit up there in that, fun for the entire family i think there would be definitely enough here that the parents and the kids could could uh 
laugh and it could be one of those bonding experiences a way for older fans to share with their children all you know what they've grown to love and that's that is one of those things that make superman such a classic character yeah agreed agreed and uh hard not to consider what you both suggested which was this could be a really brilliant form of grassroots marketing a really great way to just sort of like did you know this story was out there now that you Mm -hmm. do what do you think what's your response because we've seen that when there's enough interest from the crowd and when there's a persistence behind it things happen more than a few projects are now out there because of you know the fan base that said you got our interest and now you've got our attention and now you've got our desire and the possibility i think you you both raised is is a really great thing to consider because the more this story gets shared and talked about the more we see of those images i think anything's possible yeah mm-hmm. and happily to move us right from the lighter side into the lighter side of the darker side i'll go ahead and let you decide (laughs) (laughs) because you have to remember that we're about to talk about the lucifer's thank you the lucifer's (laughs) season four trailer and while of course he's got the reputation that is of course somewhat well learned for being you know not so nice hanging out with kind of a wrong crowd having some you know unfortunate influences lucifer season four trailer also has just enough of that comedic twist to keep it from being too dark too depressing too deep and with the release of this trailer i wanted to get first impressions and then maybe talk about a couple of other elements depending how they get brought up introduced and feel brad what was your initial takeaways my friend I think uh, having Eve as a villain or a quasi-villain is an interesting twist. Uh, It's the Lucifer TV show is so far removed from the comic, but this just makes it slightly more Gaiman-esque, you know. uh, And really, Tom Ellis seems to just be born to play this character. You know, similar way Matt Ryan is with uh, uh, Constantine. So, uh, you know, and it looks like it's keeping the same tone that it's kept, even though it's moving to Netflix. So should be a good season. Steve. Yeah, absolutely. They've kept the look and feel. They've kept the original cast. What, what I was worried about when they were jumping networks is that they'd re have to recast somebody. And I'm, I'm glad they haven't. But they're touching on the repercussions of Chloe now knowing Lucifer's secret was true that she didn't believe it at all but now she's seen his true face and the whole thing of eve has just got me really excited because i just think she's there as she was in the bible story just to be that temptation that um that whole classic uh love triangle of the misses and the ex um and lucifer's he's enough of a mischievous troublemaker as it is to have that dynamic going on of his first love and his possibly his true love and now that his brother amenadiel's got his wings back got his powers back and all of that going on i'm so glad the series is continuing because when it was initially cancelled once again proves the power of fandom so yep 
I've been watching this series from the beginning. Um, yes, it's nothing like the comics, apart from his attitude. He, he They have got the right guy playing it. I, I do wish it was a little bit closer to the comics at times, but this is its own thing, and he's made the role his own. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one a lot, a lot, a lot. What about you, Seth? Well, I really appreciate that you brought up right away the power of fandom and the fact that its cancellation from Fox, while disappointing, just meant the window or door opening for the opportunity to move on over to Netflix. So great example right there of something, who knows, maybe we could see uh, the Superman family idea, something as a DC Universe shorts and come back around just to touch back on on what we were talking about right here. But how, you know, that that that's something we can see just from this example, which is Lucifer found a home. And I'm really going to enjoy this because the Fox scheduling for me was really difficult for me to be consistent with it. Um, I had trouble keeping up with my DVR with it. And I really wish that I had because I was trying to see just what all these differences were that I felt were really clear initially. And I wanted to see how much they continued in this separation from the, the comic book. And early on, I was looking for that closer connection, Steve. I agree with you on that. Um, and I'm curious to see how far it went because it sounds like you were really able to uh, follow it all the way through and you're you know, enjoying everything that they've done so far and really looking forward to uh, this new season. Yeah. Didn't miss didn't miss an episode because he plays the cat. You just love him. You shouldn't because he's an absolute dick. Let's be he's a complete <laughs> and utter wally. But he's just got this charm, and you just think you could be my buddy. And that's the thing that with that 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 does match with the comic because again, Lucifer in the comics he's arrogant he's up his own backside he loves himself more than he is. but at times you can actually see that it's almost a bit of an act he doesn't believe it himself but and the, 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 the casting for him is just just right um but i've got to accept that it's its own entity and i've got to love the characters and and, and the situation the way they do it on the show so I just cast that this is a Lucifer's Elseworlds series. Yeah. You know, it's okay. funny because, you know, when I first started watching it, I, I was bummed that it wasn't more like the comic. But then, you know, as it kind of evolved and became its own thing, I liked it for what it was. And a lot of that is because of Tom Ellis's performance and the way he kind of envisioned and brought the character to life. Well, I really like the the elements that you're both referencing, because what I have been enjoying, and actually I've had the chance to review the last few issues of the current version of, of Lucifer and DC Comics, and I've really enjoyed what I've seen there. And Steve, you brought up a great element that I've seen in just these past two issues, which is the arrogance is and the, the sort of brashness is almost something that he knows is kind of expected, and it's a way of dealing with what he feels is exactly. the you know, the sort of negative, you know, stereotype that he's always going to be cast in whenever the host or any other element is dealing with him. You know, they already think they know who he is and what he's thinking. So they've already judged him. And his attitude is, well, fine, I'm just going to give you what you want to see. But how I really feel and think, you, you know, you don't get to know now and you never will. And and I'll, I'll keep that part separate. And how that that's a you know, that's an honesty beneath all those layers that we can all sort of relate to when we're dealing with people that we don't enjoy dealing with 
we figure out a way to, you know, manage our feelings in relationship to them. And his way of dealing with it, uh, you know, while it might seem unpleasant and as as was pointed out, um, can give him a certain set of nicknames we're all comfortable with agreeing on. Uh, at the same time, I, I also love that now he's got this problem, which is the one thing that was sort of really, you know, making him con- changing his ways has now Chloe seen his face is aware of that. But instead of making it so simple that this next season is just about Chloe seen his face and how will this change the relationship? No, 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 no. We're going to have a triangle here. We're going to drop Eve in. And for me, I wanted to get some feedback on you guys both as well. Thoughts on whether or not Eve falls more into the, she's, you know, a little bit bad, but plays it being cute or is she more like the curious cat slash child who I knew of at least two people when they wanted to disturb somebody would place that into a room where there's all sorts of things to kind of just kick over and <laughs> knock around, pick up, spill in order to get someone's attention. Do you know what I mean? So if the partner yeah. or spouse felt like, hey, I need your attention, I'm going to put this child into this room or for a roommate of mine who wanted to definitely get another roommate during college and was like, you know what, when I drop the cat in the room, you wake up from whatever nap you're at because the cat just gets into stuff. You know what I mean? And it can't be helped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so do you feel that, you know, Eve is going to fall more into that? Oh, well, I'm just naturally curious because that's just who I've always been. Or is it going to be, I really play a great job at being curious because when I want to get something, curiosity is impossible to judge. I yeah. I think it's going to be more the cat. Kind of, you know, just... Uh, knocking things over because that's what it does the innocent child kind of thing that's why i said love it quasi quasi villain not necessarily straight up a villain but just somebody that maybe can be manipulated by a greater evil even so that's that's my that's my takeaway from the trailer it's it's amazing how much we think alike the three of us because i was actually (laughs) thinking Along the lines of she actually is ditzy and innocent, but her ditzy and innocent is like throwing a live grenade into a room because she does not realize the havoc she's actually causing. And I don't know if she's accidentally stumbled back into Lucifer's life or again, if this is daddy playing his games with Lucifer to try and get him back on the path he needs to be on, which is the recurring theme that's been from the beginning, how much are we masters of our own fate and how much of it is predestined, how much of it is the great plan and not knowing which parts, which whether you're playing the game unwittingly or not. And the fact that she's in there and she's going to be knocking all kinds of crap off the table. I know she is. And it's going to be fun to watch because the casting again is really cool because she's just on the right side of mischievous, a uh, cat-like, actually, was a really good spot, Seth, because she's quite cat-like <laughs> and um, and ditzy. Um, I, I was looking forward to it because it's a dynamic I wasn't expecting. So that trailer's cheered me up because it's come out right out of left field. It's that other little can of worms just waiting to slip out of your fingers and drop its contents all over the floor. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, and I do love how just devilishly. we all think and how much fun it is when we do this because yeah i have to you know just add on the fact that we've we've spent the early part of this part you know talking about lucifer and 
we mentioned that, you know, his way of dealing with things is this brash, arrogant, but who's not to say that that's not Eve's way of dealing with things? Cute, curious, with her own agenda, but this is how she keeps anybody from guessing what's really going on under there. And whether it's, you know, by design or just, well, actually, this is Eve and there's really nothing more than just what's on the surface. I think the fun she's going to create and the mystery of trying to figure out which one of the two she's actually, you know, portraying is going to be, you know, part of the fun, part of the, ah, she just did a mess and it caused all these things to happen. Okay, now, was that by design or was that mm-hmm. just happenstance? And keeping us guessing the whole way along is what the best sort of, you know, puzzles and mysteries do to us, right? They tease you till you think you got it yeah. figured out. And then they go, are you sure? Go ahead. Here's some new information. Think about it. <laughs> and um, as Mary and Seth, you'd agree that whatever um, a woman is showing you on the outside, beneath that, there's 8,000 layers of different flavored cake that you need to get through because um, nothing is ever <laughs> straightforward. Um, there's, there's more going on there than you think. Well, as our good, as our good uh, preacher... Dominic Cooper said while he was working on that film for our marvelous competitor, perfectly paraphrased, as soon as a man thinks he knows what is going on inside of a woman's head, that is when his goose is well and truly cooked. And <laughs> it's 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 going to be our goose is cooked. Should we really think we actually know what's going on? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can um, way off. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Uh Without any uh, other additions, too, because I'm sure we could keep trying and just risking the flames with our gooses. Let's move into another one with so many teases and temptations that I know it's going to be fun listening to Brad and Steve talk to us about their impressions when they watched the newest Pennyworth trailer. And Brad, I'm going to let you pick it up because... I could go into my favorite parts about all sorts of things, but why shape the narrative when I can allow both you and Steve to set it up for us perfectly? Brad, start us off. Oh man, uh, this this seems like such a perfect idea. It's it's almost like why didn't somebody do this years ago? <laughs> uh, uh, it, it looks cool, and you know. A 1960s spy series is something we haven't seen in a while. Maybe it'll harken back to uh, stuff like The Avengers and, you know, all those shows kind of from back in the day. Uh, And I I am going to be curious how it ties, how they make it feel like a Batman or DC show. Uh, Because really, you could just call characters Pennyworth and uh, Thomas Wayne, but you know it would still just be a general spy show you know what i mean like how are they going to make it feel in with a place in the batman mythology so uh, that'll be interesting over the these 10 episodes how that all plays out no i can see what's creating that possibility yeah go ahead you were saying are they going to have yeah i mean are they going to i wonder if they're going to reference other characters you know cobble pods or you know i just i i i'm really excited to see how they spin this and take it and where it goes Mm, interesting that's actually stuff i haven't considered at all because i'm kind of hoping in some ways that they don't that you just let alfred be alfred be 
the uh, London guy having adventures in, in the 1960s and the whole thing to be seeing the royal family. So it actually is the Queen uh, that the character's playing. We were talking about a few weeks ago when the casting was announced. And the fact that they're still keeping with the Michael Caine, Sean Pertwee, London Cockney accent, um, Alfred Pennyworth, rather than the received pronunciation Queen's English um, Alfred Pennyworth. And there's a marked difference between the two so i'm quite interested in that but i'm kind of hoping that it runs for four or five seasons however long they want to run and then at the end thomas wayne's ties with alfred end up being what gets him and martha killed in the alleyway um that it's all harkens back to their spy days and whatever they got up to back in the 60s but the rest of it is just five or six seasons of fun in the 1960s spies gadgets warfare uh mini skirts and mayhem so i'm oh, yeah, kind of hoping in a way it's its own thing oh yeah i think i could like it either way i'm just you know it's i'm just um i'm just curious well, there has to be a tie at some point you're absolutely right it has to yeah, be a tie at some so, point yeah. but not necessarily right from the start i don't think Steve, if you wouldn't mind, just because I really feel like you've you've touched on something that I would not been as as nearly as well aware of, but that you could probably draw just a, a little bit deeper conclusion for us regarding those two, uh, you know, sort of really clear differences you drew in the pronunciation and what those might represent. Uh, for what the character would be like in one version compared to the other, what sort of expectations come with that recognition that you have for where that that area of speech, you know, kind of originates from and what is generally deduced about it or, or anything related to that? Because you, you've got a great international <laughs> and, of course, particularly regional perspective for that, that the rest of us probably wouldn't place without some sort, of, sort of explanation. So given your expertise, my friend, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. It's the same as, say, you guys saying that, um, how can I put this, that like a, a redneck as opposed to uh, uh, someone who's been to Yale and Harvard, and, and it's that sort of difference, but that's perceived because Alfred, uh, as played by Michael Caine and Sean Pertz, he might be a London guy with a bit of a rougher accent and uh, not quite as educated, but uh, that doesn't mean they're not smart. Uh, whereas Alfred, back in the day, during the Batman the Animated Series and even Michael Goff's interpretation in the uh, Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher movies, is far more uh, a gentleman, uh, educated, and trying to do things the correct way, sir master bruce rather than master wayne um it's literally just a perceived thing and sometimes that can actually lead to um people underestimating you so i think that the whole idea that they're sticking to the street side to the london side of alfred might actually prove beneficial for him because with bond he's suave sophisticated and um debonair and all the rest but he has to keep up that pretense he has to keep that polished thing whereas with a london guy he can be a street guy he can be an army brat he can be anything he wants to be and people will just look at him that way so i just think there's a lot more possibility with that i am surprised by it. i thought they were going to go back to the more traditional um posh alfred but i'm glad they're not and they're keeping that side of it because that's a side people the audiences of the last 15 20 years will recognize far more 
I I really appreciate you describing that because it, it your expertise, your understanding allows you to do so with a you know clearer framework than I could attempt in any way. And yet you perfectly demonstrate how it can allow for misconceptions, misperceptions to occur, but how that can also be used to an advantage. And it makes me wonder, just out of curiosity, because I thought you did a great job of bringing up the idea of Bond and how in the more recent versions with the Daniel Craig, there's that great interaction uh, with the uh, compatriot that he has who performs a brief psychoanalysis on him. And she points out that, you know, he wears the clothes very well, but also with a certain disdain as though he had been sponsored through schooling and yet he wasn't, you know, (laughs) it wasn't something he wanted to point to. And how, if we see maybe perhaps that Alfred can turn it on, turn it off from the the lower, you know, speech to the higher speech based on to just sort of keep people. uh, You all know he's a trained actor. We all exactly. know that Alfred's a trained actor. He's actually um, stood in for Bruce, stood in for several other members of the Bat family over the course of his tenure. So he can play every role. So, again, is this just another act? Is this his matches Malone? Uh, the way that Bruce adopts different personalities to be uh, different parts of the criminal underworld. So I'm fascinated by that. Wow, you just kind of blew my mind. Now I'm really excited for the show. Agreed. I mean, that's... You know, that's... that's, that's... <laughs> That's part of the fun there, knowing that he's got that actor's chops and that he's got that pedigree. And based on whatever his experience was, if it was a bit more of a a street kind of experience with the street smarts that go with it and folding that into the acting pedigree and then using that for this job that he's taking on. Yeah, Brad, I'm with you, man. My 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 mind's constantly exploding now. (laughs) Um, I wanted to bring up two other things just really quick. Um, The first Steve, you touched on really nicely the idea that Thomas Wayne hires uh, Alfred yes. uh, to do a job for him. So this begins their relationship, and that's a really great foundation that the uh, trailer sets up. But also, I was curious uh, what you guys thought about some of the imagery that was going on with the flag. It starts out with that stamping of the Union Jack, and then at one point we see the collar with the flipping up of the wings, which almost kind of reminds me of the uh, the bird from the Reich symbol. And then later we see that bird getting superimposed onto the Jack, the Union Jack. You know, you know, the sequence I'm referring to. And uh, yeah, it looks like there might be like one of those kind of shield slash uh, Hydra, like a, a negative working inside of a positive or a, a threat. It's more of like an unseen. Any impressions you guys got from the, that sort of imagery or the implication or inference that might be going on there? Brad uh, or Steve? <laughs> yeah, you might be right. I, I really, honestly, I hadn't thought about that. But now that you bring that up and, and thinking about the trailer, you could absolutely be right. And how I was saying, like those older spy shows, they always had, or or Bond, you, you know, you had uh, double, you had 007, but you also had Spectre. And things like that. So you almost always need that foil. So yeah, you could absolutely be right. You exactly hit on it precisely where my mind was going. That with those old shows, The Man from Uncle, um, Mission Impossible, The Avengers, there was always like the evil organization, the evil hood, Spectre, all those baddies. And you need to have that. And I think that was like um the the, the Mark showing, yeah, this is the kind of people that, that, that Alfred and Thomas are going to be fighting. And it just made me wish, wish, wish for, I, 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 I don't know, I'm just one of these guys that loves to get my fantasy and 
put it all in a smoothie cup and slurp it up with a straw that, that Alfred could meet up with um, Agent Carter and they could both fight Nazis and villains together. And missing another series that was cut short far too soon. But Oh yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too. That's the baddie organization and they're trying to infiltrate Britain from within. And then just one last question before we step away from the Pennyworth trailer, because I think this is one of those things that I always enjoy when you have got this great snapshot of montaged images like we did with this trailer. Was there any one figure, whether it was just Alfred or uh, Thomas Wayne or any other figure during the trailer where you found yourself going, I want to know more about that or that character caught my attention. And after this trailer's over, I'm still thinking about what they look like how they appeared or what they were doing. I have my own, but I'd like to just offer that question to Brad first and then Steve, if you just had one image that sort of got your attention out of that. Man, I don't necessarily think so. I think for me, it was more watching the world building coming together. See, seeing the tone, the look of it. That's, that's more what grabbed me, which is kind of the whole, the whole world saying that the the entire premise is fascinating to me because obviously this is a show that's going to be set where i live where i grew up where i was born and raised but um i do have two characters that stood out other than alfred and, and thomas and that's the queen the way she's young she's beautiful and she's presented center screen like something's going to be revolving around this character and of course paloma faith is that white haired we know she's the villainess um so that's all She's striking. She looks angry. What's that she's got in her hand? Uh, that's all got me like, hmm, I want to know more. Uh, yeah, so that, that's where I left it. What about you, Seth? Agreed, actually. The blonde felt like her job was to get my attention, and that was right before either she killed me or the guy off you know, camera takes me out because mm-hmm. that's, that's the whole point. It almost felt like that great Matrix moment. Are you listening to me or were you paying attention to the blonde? And that's that's what I feel her whole uh, purpose was. And then also uh, the man in the. uh, Oh, boy, I want to call it the beheadsman. It's not it. But the gentleman who is wearing like a black mask and then later he's the one operating, the, uh, you know, the the device. And I'm sitting at the guillotine and my brain just sort of went, okay. I almost feel like I got two quick shots at this person something's going on with this guy and why do i think that he works with the blonde i don't know how but those were two that really just sort of stood out for me because i instantly had questions about both of them and i knew they were someone i was going to be looking for when i end up watching the series um so i'm glad to hear that you also both had some you know things like that going on as well i mean as you said steve what's she carrying in her hand that's a question i'm going to want to have answered yeah. Yeah. And I uh, there is no shortage of trailers in today's discussion because Pennyworth trailer, well, you've got competition because now we also have a new Swamp Thing trailer. And the last one was 45 seconds. This one just about doubles that time and we saw some great imagery. I've got my favorites, Brad. What were yours? Uh my favorite bit of imagery and maybe I'm off the mark, but it's possible I almost thought I saw Blue Devil in there and if they ah, could bring you did. that was blue devil oh yes that's what i it's, thought too yeah and that that's <laughs> what came out and grabbed me the most about it because if they could bring in some of those other magical dc characters oh man 
I, I would just love it, you know, because thank you, Steve, you got me hooked on Justice League Dark now. So I'm like, I can't. I would love oh, you've read it. Yes. Oh, yes. I've yeah. converted yeah. another one yeah. to the cause. Yeah. My and powers yeah, are strong. Just, <laughs> yeah, they are. I mean, I would just I would love to see some of those characters brought to life on this show. Uh, and that makes it feel more like a DC show than a Swamp Thing show. And we've all seen the Swamp Thing shows before, you know, so just expanding that world is very intriguing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for Swamp Thing. No, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen a Swamp Thing show like this one. That trailer, that, that was scary. I, I, I almost swore there because that, that was proper James Wan as a horror director, now executive producer, really bringing a horror show yeah. to our screens. Because the thing with the vines, the creature coming yeah. back to life behind Abby, uh, the casting. Um, I've been a huge Crystal Reed fan since. Okay, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I watched Teen Wolf. I thought it was a great show. And she was brilliant in it. And she was great in Gotham too. I like Crystal Reed. So, nah, I don't care what you think. Um, <laughs> well, I've never seen... I've never seen Teen Wolf, but from like the commercials or whatever I saw of it, it seemed really dark. So, watch it. Honestly, now it's finished. Give it a see because it's actually a much better show than people made out. And what lifted it was the performances and the writing. And that's where Tyler Heckling got his name in. Look at him now, he's Superman. He was the worst werewolf in history. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Really was a terrible, terrible werewolf because he was far too nice. Um, but he, he's he's now Superman. But yeah, um, with something trailer, I'm I'm intrigued and I'm excited because it looks like they're going back to the Len Wein, Bernie Wrights, and Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, John Toshman horror Swamp yeah. Thing. And, and that's really what the character on needs. TV. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We need a horror show, and by the looks of this trailer, we're getting a horror show in a good way. This isn't a Superman 4 horror show. No, no. This is a horror <laughs> show. Seth, what did you make of that trailer? Because it just blew me away, mate. It just knocked me out. Right away, the, the first thing that, that caught my attention was my fixation on Blue Devil. As soon as I saw the mask, as soon as I saw that, I thought, that's the costume. This He's is back. where it starts. He puts the costume on. It's Dan. He's in the costume. There's some sort of accident. He's, you know what I mean? Like my brain was already just sort of like going through the origin. This is how they're going to do it. This is where it's going to happen. And of course, we're now doing it in this great environment. I mean, I love these shows for creating a world, right? And I love that you guys both just referenced uh, how impressive the world of magic becomes in a storyline like what we've seen in Justice League Dark. Brad, as soon as I had the chance to read the trade paperback and review it immediately when I picked it up, Steve, his first response was, you're going to love every minute of this, man. You're going to love it. Knowing everything I know about what you love about comics and what you've you know, mentioned that you like so far, you're going to just eat this thing up. And I did. And it sounds like he converted you as well, because I loved yeah. hearing your guys' conversation last time yeah. around when you were talking about it. He was like, ah, oh, Brad, you got to go pick it up. <laughs> and then hearing later that you did and you loved it. And I, I'm sure you have to just be thrilled following issue from issue now into, you know, issue number you know, 10 as we're, we're seeing so many other right, things right. that, I mean, um, let's be honest, Steve, I know you're with me. How many things have we seen in Justice League Dark that we can hope, dream, fantasize about now being potentially in Swamp Thing? Just with that Blue Devil I think just with that happen. slight connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brad as well, um, like me, is an Alan Moore Swamp Thing 
fan. So I think that's what finally got him hooked on the idea of reading Justice League Dark. And ah. if they can do the Brujeria, the Invuncia, the Parliament of Trees, the whole American yeah. Gothic, it could tie in beautifully uh, with Doom Patrol because Mento, um, oh, I might be spoiling things for about season four of Swamp Thing and season six of Doom Patrol now. Uh, Mento um, is actually the gateway that joins the land of the living with the afterlife to try and stop the original darkness taking over the world. And he's one of the casualties of that battle. And Constantine's involved in that. And virtually every DC magic user, Spectre, um, the, the whole lot, Baron Winters, they're, they're all there. So if they can pull that off three or four seasons down the line, you're going to be looking at the happiest horror comic fanboy oh, moment yeah. ever. I will be jumping up in joy and punching the air like a boy band member. It's going to be insane. <laughs> and can we please get Detective Champ? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, when be oh man. With <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, when I mean, we finish so this many... conversation, guys, when we finish this conversation, please, please, please stay on a bit longer because I've got some really hot teasers about what's coming up in Justice League Dark um, uh-huh. 11, 12 and going forward. Oh, nice. All right. I love hearing that. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be I'll be sticking around. Brad will be sticking around. We'll all be yeah. sticking around. And Steve, you know, I'm going to take advantage of you on this one and Brad, too, because, you know, Steve, the way you were listing so much of your just vast wealth of knowledge when it comes to the history of Swamp Thing. Maybe you can help clarify a couple of things that came up for me as questions and what your takes on them were. And Brad, mm-hmm. please chime in anywhere along the way. Two things. Did I see Pig, as in P-Y-G, that I was wondering that from too. the Batman universe? Yeah, I, I thought that was a bit of a stretch, but I thought, wow, that'd be really cool if it was. If any guy's messed up enough to join that cast from the Batman universe, it's him, because he's just not right and he's okay. frightening and he's yes. absolutely yeah. yeah yeah not only that but his weird quasi genetic almost mystical sort of take on gene manipulation and metahuman manipulation yeah, he'd be, and is he'd be perfect for it i definitely oh, feel like he falls into this quasi occult science you know that 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 sort of you know would would fit perfectly here right but my only thought was before i just you know throw it out there steve you know there wasn't a character from Swamp Thing that that could be mistaken for a pig that that I'm like no. not thinking of. Okay, and then secondly, does anyone know who the blonde girl is? One on the floor, and then two exhibiting some very powerful powers that almost seem to radiate from her in a way that reminds me of either someone with telepathic, telekinetic abilities, or almost like a young, you know, black canary. Uh, did anyone have a historical framework or reference for that? It could I'm, be from the middle period, um, after the Len Wein series and before Alan Moore took over, Tom Yates um, and Marty Pascoe were uh, were um, on the series. And they introduced the girl who was uh, basically the Antichrist, uh, a, a human girl who uh, the devil was trying to use as a vessel to come into the earth. Uh, with so i think maybe they're going to tie in every era of swamp thing because that story while not quite as successful as the original run and the alan moore run 
did um, have some amazing um, ideas and characters which later became important. So maybe they're tying in that whole history. I mean, it could be her because she's a blonde girl. She was possessed. Um, that's a story I remember from, I think that's the late 70s, uh, early 80s. Uh, before Alan Moore took over. So I'm thinking it, it could be her. I, I don't think it's okay. who else it could be. Oh, man, this conversation has got me really bummed now that it's been cut to 10 episodes and not the full 13. Yeah, it right. It seems like from what you guys are saying and what we've been talking about, uh, there's so much there, you know, and it's definitely could span out for 13 episodes and not have to be crammed into 10. So, man. And Brad, that was my question for you guys next was, you know, based on what you saw of this trailer, how does that, you know, take how does that change your interpretation of the news that we heard from last week, which was cutting it down from 13 to 10? Is there anything in here that that justifies why that's going on right now or that makes any sense to you? Or is it, you know, something that's completely outside of that? And this is just the gem that we're getting out of 10 episodes. I think it's just the gem, really. I, okay. From what I can see, I don't think there was. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Um. No, yeah. Yeah. Steve. <laughs> I think Joe said it really well last week that sometimes um, maybe they're just streamlining because I do agree with what he said whole wholeheartedly. Where some of these shows that are set in stone at thirteen episodes, some of them feel like fillers, or some of them feel padded. Some of them feel like they they had too much not enough story and they had to stretch it out. I think if they do it properly, a 10 episode run might feel a little bit more satisfying. I mean, look at Titans. It was meant to be 12, but they held off the final episode to be the premiere of season two instead. So there's obviously some story elements. And again, sadly, some studio interference, which has messed that up a bit. But if the quality of the show matches to that of the trailer, if it's not like the old Swamp Thing TV show, if it's not like the two, god-awful yes entertaining but god-awful something movies and they're going back to making a horror show which that trailer clearly delineates is, is what they're trying to do then 10 episodes 13 episodes 176 episodes if they're all like that yeah i'm happy i want to watch them all what, what did you think sir well i really like the way you've you you know pointed to what joe had mentioned last week and that's something that had been part of our discussion when we were originally going over that news release and and that's the challenge in in that okay is that 13th episode or even maybe anything past 10 going in a direction that pulls away from a really strong moment that's achieved by episode 10 and those three episodes can be moved into the second season great opportunity if it's going to work out well and yet at the same time, you know, it's it's easy to, to question where that, you know, might have left some things behind. As we pointed out, you know, Shazam's going to have an additional 20 to 24 minutes that just didn't make it. And sometimes some of the best stuff doesn't fit for the moment you're trying to achieve. If they see the success that happened with Titans at 10 and they can hold off for that last episode until the following season and still carry the momentum and the desire from the fans to, to pick back up. You know, then we've got, you know, a great opportunity for that that strength to carry over. Uh, I also feel like, uh, you know, there's this American writer named Raymond Carver, and it was revealed about maybe 15 years ago, uh, maybe 16, that it was an editor who actually was responsible for making his signature stories as short as they were. Carver actually wrote these ridiculously long stories 
But his editor came through and said, ah, you, you're going off onto these different tangents. I edit, I edit. And what we've got is your 13 pages turned into six. And it's kind of what made him the new modern writer that he became declared as. And it's, it's challenging in that, you know, I know he had great success from it. And yet later there was this huge debate when a group of us in the class were going over the original, which was this huge, long, sprawling story and this short, tight, really efficient story. And if they've seen something in the ratings that says, hey, you know what, for the value of the dollar and to make sure we can do these longer sprawling stories in the future, we have to be short and tight right now. I can also understand that if you're thinking long term, sometimes you have to make the choice that doesn't sound great in the beginning but pays off in the end because it's the smart investment or the smart choice rather than the emotional choice maybe, or, you know, the original desire. Cause like we all have these great goals. And then at some point we have to recognize how much of it's achievable and what the best thing to do based on that is. And I, I kind of have to hope that that's what really came down to being the final decision maker for that. Um, and that's my last thought, if anyone wanted to, to chime in on after that, because I know I touched on a couple of points there. And I, I, I do want to say that you're, you're spot on where an effective editor can make a good writer great. And if the edits they've done, if they cuts and changes they've made, produce a tighter leaner more effective show then i'm all on board but if they just cut it for the sake of some political red tape reason then i'm not so happy yeah 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 absolutely if it's if it was a financial decision uh instead of a storytelling decision i think we'll be able to tell um but you know justice league there you go yeah yeah (laughs) perfect yeah and Stephen King on in writing basically also um, brings in how important it is to be tight and short in a way, you know, not not necessarily being simpler, but being concise. And I think they could I think it's definitely possible for them to be able to tell a great story in 10 episodes rather than 13. But if we all like the show so much, we're going to want more of these characters, even if the story was tight. We'd still want to see a little more. So, well, I agree. I really think that sometimes less is more. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And if it's if it's a well told and a fully fledged and fleshed out story for all the components that were shown, then I'm going to be comfortable whatever number they stop it at. Because as long as that's the goal you're going for, and it's not about any other factors, uh, financial, economic, timing, any other. That, that have been brought up in this discussion, those are the outside reasons that that take away from the heart of the storytelling. If the decision's made from the heart of the storytelling, I, I think you're always going to kind of land on your feet, you know, and the audience is going to recognize that. It's like it's like the, any other element of authenticity we've talked about, you know, when you're you're trying to be inauthentic, it shows no matter how hard you try. But when you're authentic about it, everyone can see like, okay, that's a solid, concrete ten episodes. Give me 10 more, right? Sign me up for next season. Um, I, I guess it's really easy to move right from that into the fact that there were also some new Swamp Thing images. And while the trailer in many ways did its job of getting this great conversation going about Swamp Thing and all the things we can hope and expect, I really felt that these standalone images told a story of their own, you know, that they really provided an opportunity for anybody who gets a quick glance at them to take 
as many elements as they want away from it. And I can't help but already hearing the echoes of things that have been said so far, like Steve, where you were talking about the horror aspect uh, and Brad, a couple of other great points that you, you mentioned that I don't want to take away. So let me hear your impressions about these standalone images as they match up with that film trailer we saw. I think the thing that grabs me the most is the red eyes in Swamp Thing, his red eyes. Nice. And that, also feels like something from more of a horror genre than anything else uh, so i think that that definitely goes along with the horror tone that we've been seeing in the trailer yeah plus the fact as well this looks like a creature who's been grown in a marsh it looks like lichen it looks like roots and weeds and plant matter it doesn't look like a big right. in a suit and, and that's that hugely important yeah yeah um and that's hugely. where we are with technology yeah where you can mm-hmm. make it look more organic and real grown rather than say a rubber suit or you know what they used in in the past definitely and it's also why I felt that the images were such a great follow-up for me after watching the trailer, because the red eyes made me think of the first appearance of the red eyes in the trailer, when they're rising out of the water and the eyes open, and you get that first sort of great menacing. And the tentacles you were talking about, as soon as you mentioned them, I didn't see the picture anymore. I saw the scene, I think it's in either the hospital room or the morgue, where the tentacles are shooting across yeah. the floor, and there's that great creepy horror aspect. And I love that these images almost in many ways for me are like a way to recall these little pieces from the trailer that as soon as I see this image, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was cool. I remember that. Oh, wow. I remember that, too. And almost having this like reawakening, you know, like I saw something so fast that now I have a chance to almost reflect on it. And I'm going, oh, I do remember that. Oh, and I did like that. And now I'm even more curious. And I I thought that was a lot of fun. And both examples, the red eyes, the tentacles, uh, you guys pointed to great examples that that just immediately caught my eye and my attention. Um, Do you not think that um, DC Universe are just really putting in some thought, care, love into these shows? Because Titans was amazing. Doom Patrol is blowing my mind on a weekly basis. And just on this trailer, on those posters alone... I don't think I've been as excited for a show as I am for something in a long, long time. Um, I'm just really happy that they're giving these characters that many people would never have heard of. I mean, Titans, yeah. But who's heard of the Doom Patrol? Who's, who's heard of something um, in the last 20 years? Because anyone growing up now with the Marvel movies and stuff would never have seen those the two films from the, from the 80s or, or the TV show. Um, so they're going to be brought into something, some would say, the right way as the character was intended to be, uh, as that catalyst for keeping true ho- the horror side of the DC universe at bay. Um, so I'm kind of jealous of people who are coming into something as brand new fans. They're going to come in the, the correct ways. So I'm just really, really excited and, and loving what DC Universe are doing. Brad, I'm going to offer you the chance, my friend. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, to add to that, I would say that getting turned on to something from this show, it's going to, if they want to check out more of the source material, it's going to direct yeah. them to the best yeah. of the best. And that, and that, I think, is reflective of the love that they put into creating the show. And so that 
thought that somebody's going to pick up Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run from this show and be introduced to that, uh, it just makes my heart happy. And with good reason, you know, the, the thing that I really loved was that, you know, Steve, you mentioned that this show could be pulling from facets of all of these different storytelling. Right. And that was also something that I really felt was, was part of a careful planning also in Titans, the idea Mm -hmm. that not everything is what you might expect if you were uh, a fan of the first run of the Titans or the second or the third or whatever iteration you've experienced during comic book telling. This is the iteration they've chosen. And these are the parts of that world that they've been using to build our understanding of the characters and their place in this world. And, you know, it's, it's why I think Titans made such a point of making the relationship between Dick and Batman so crucial to everything that was going on. Everything that it seemed that Dick was basing his decision making on was on his relationship and how it had changed with Batman and how now he was using that to frame his own decision making process. And I feel like in Swamp Thing, the opportunity to build all of those elements from all these different eras and to then say, this is the Swamp Thing world and these are all of the parts that make it up. It it really means that, you know. One, you will have this sort of solid foundation that everything can build from into season four, six, ten, however far they go. But also along the way that, as you mentioned, you know, it's an opportunity for a fresh fan to come in with all of the best elements. And if they want more, it's going to drive them back to the source of all of those great elements, which is only going to reinforce this idea that a good show hopefully is continuing to do well as we've seen so far. And as I really think Steve, you pointed out the DC universe is getting that idea in its TV show planning. We're going brick by brick here and everything about this place is going to feel as real as the time it took us to put down the mortar, place the brick Mm -hmm. and give it time to set. You know what I mean? And however uncomfortable everybody else is going to get about what their expectation about how fast or slow things should be moving. Guess what? We're doing it brick by brick, and that's why everything feels the way it should, you know, and that's why it reminds you of all the things that you really enjoyed feeling when you read these kinds of stories. And now you're getting to watch that feeling like, isn't that what you want? <laughs> you know, are you not entertained? <laughs> um, and while we could probably spend as much time as possible I could going talk into even all more night about, <laughs> <laughs> about Swamp Thing, about the new trailer, about what our hopes, fears, and dreams might be. We, of course, know that all of this comes from our source material, the comic books themselves, and that anyone enjoying these shows should be, as they're seeking more information, finding themselves driven to those books, those colors, those letters, those inks, those pencils. And in comic book news, there is no shortage of information including this story that's coming out about the Inside Editions revelation for their cover of the upcoming Batman history book. Um, Plenty of information to go over here, but really this story is about the cover. So without trying to get too wordy about anything else except that, Brad, this cover, this image for this history book, your initial impressions, and then Steve. Okay, I think it's so cool. It's very timeless. You know, I mentioned before how one of the great things about Gotham City is that it, it is timeless. It doesn't feel necessarily in any decade or anything like that. And this cover 
definitely has that feel. It's kind of Art Deco, and that you can see all these different iterations of Batman. You see, like, the Dark Knight Returns in the Lightning and the animated series. Uh, it's just brilliant. Steve? Yeah. As uh, in my privileged role, as editor-in-chief of Dark Knight News, uh, I've started to get sent lots of absolutely stunning freebies. And these are books I actually would have happily paid money for anyway, because Insight Editions, um, I don't know if you guys have seen Anatomy of a Metahuman or the recent Masters of Comics. Um, These books are just gorgeous. And now I'm getting one about 80 years of Batman, looking back at not just the comics, but the radio, TV, games, toys, action figures, animated series, the the whole shebang with stuff you can pull out of the book, little inserts and posters and and things like that, made by one of my favourite publishing houses. Seriously, I cannot wait for October to get my grubby little mitts on this book because I am going to read the ever-living bejesus out of it. And I'm glad I'm getting it free because I'm going to have to buy a second copy that I'm going to keep mint because it looks gorgeous. Yeah, this is something that I'm sure, being such a big Batman fan, Steve, that you're just going to take days and days and days just going over every single detail in this book. Yeah, the fun thing for me about this book is it kind of reminds me back around the, the mid-90s era when the box set music concept first started to kind of come out. And it wasn't just you were going to get an album, but you were going to get an album with liner notes and maybe all this other stuff and this like idea of collecting all of that. But how in this book, instead, we've taken that idea of the box and, and moved it back to the book, but still included these great little pullouts, these inserts that Steve, you were pointing to and how each one is going to be an opportunity for this snapshot over the past 80 years. And I love that you mentioned that it's not just about comics and film, but that you brought in the radio side because it feels like Superman on the radio is something everyone's heard of, but that no one thinks as much about Batman on the radio or about other ways that Batman was experienced aside from comic books, the Mm -hmm. recent animated, or in films, and how there are all of these little moments in history, these periods where things existed, and after so many years, they sort of lose their relevancy or or even their referencing, and how this book is going to be doing that, and for, for fans who weren't aware of that, it'll be an opportunity to expose them to even more about a character they love, and for fans who are aware of it, it's going to be even more for them to look forward to. It's kind of like a guaranteed, if you love Batman, you're going to love this. Am I wrong on that? Can I just oh, get no. an amen? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Preach, See, preach. and that's why if you're going to preach, you preach to a choir, guys, because right. that's how you get the kind of reaction you're looking for. Otherwise, it's always going to be hit or miss or guess. But, you know, I also like that you pointed to uh, some great history. Sorry, Steve, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're going to say something there, my friend. Oh, no, not at all. Oh. It's just so funny because you've literally um, reiterated that the, the, the writer who wrote the piece for us at Dark Night News said, I've just had to go on Amazon to look at this book because it's available on pre-order. And it's it's 60 pounds. But, yeah, I'm still going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> 
that that that's the kind of endorsement that I'm sure you know we're gonna share this one. We're just gonna tag DC with a comment for that and just be like, hey guys, just just so you know, this could be your average fan reaction. Just just so yeah. you know, that that's the reaction that you get in here. Um, boy. And I loved, by the way, I was just going to mention, Steve, that you uh, referenced the fact that this isn't the first book from Inside Editions, that we've got mm-hmm. some previous material. Um, yes. You mentioned one, Anatomy of a Metahuman, I believe it was. Oh, that book. Oh, that book. Have you seen it, guys? No, I have no. not. Uh-uh. I have not. Damn. Listen, if you've got any books vouchers or, or you're near a bookstore or you're thinking, what should I pick up? Grab this book because it's literally like looking at how superpowers work on a biological level, trying to look at the science of how uh, superpowers uh, exist and the, the anatomy of Superman. And actually, you know, like the Retrieval Man by um, uh, Da Vinci and all of that sort of stuff. They literally sure. go deep into how these things, how Superman's body processes sunlight and how it gives him his strength and everything else. It's a stunning book. Honestly, uh, pick it up. Get it for, for a Christmas gift to someone you love who loves reading who's into comics because it's literally exactly what it says on the book. It's the anatomy of a metahuman. Uh, Google it after the show and um, you'll see a book that's just going to blow your mind. I'm surprised. Um, I'm sure didn't Josh, Joshua review it for, for DC Comics News? He might have and I just missed it. But you also mentioned there was a second book. And I'd hate for any yes. listener to miss out on the opportunity to hear that name uh, again because we provide Masters information, Com- folks. <laughs> Masters of Comics has just come out. Um, okay. Pick this up because literally it's a look at some of the truly astonishing comics artists and the work they've produced. And it's not just a look at their work blown up in beautiful uh full size pages i mean the first thing you see when you open the book is a lovely picture of uh, the endless uh, neil gaiman's the endless ah. tree so I guess ah. of course yes and yeah. it's also interviewing these artists and getting to learn about their process and the way they work so if you're interested in comic art this is a must buy book it's just stunning and when you've got milo Manara, you've got um Frank Quietly in there, so many amazing artists and beautiful reproductions of their artwork, plus an idea as to how they work. Yeah, another oh, must. Man, Steve, I think yeah. like every time I, every time we talk, it ends up costing me. I'm money. a horrible influence. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and yet at the same time, Steve, we, we can't thank you enough because those are two invaluable pieces of personal information that you shared that, you know, you know what I mean? You provide that that insight that you've had just from looking at those on your own and what your experience has been like that. And that can also help just sort of build that anticipation, not only for you, but for anybody listening for this new Batman book that's coming out. You know, just the idea of what these guys have already done and then taking that and putting it into a character like Batman and his history. Um, That's just a really great way of of preparing anybody who's curious about this and needs another reason just to hop off when they're done listening and go start clicking away. Um, And that might not be the only thing they're looking to pick up because when it comes to comic book news and collections we've also got the announcement that doomsday clock part one mind you 
will be collected and available. This <laughs> I love the way you said that. Just part one. So we don't know if part two is ever going to end. Did anybody catch that? Was did, did, was was that not subtle enough? Um, Brad, what were your thoughts about Doomsday Clock? Part one, mind you. Part one. Yeah, I I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, just because the release schedule and the production schedule keeps getting pushed back on the individual issues. I definitely don't think this was their intention originally when they started publishing the book, that they were going to have to do maybe two collections. And of course they're going to do the the 12 issue collection later on, but I do think it does make sense. I think it's going to keep people interested as they wait for these issues, because I think uh, issue 11, I think it was just got pushed back again so it's, <laughs> it's it's i think it's a thanks, necessary brad. decision thank you thanks brad <laughs> yeah it's his fault <laughs> and i'm such a watchman fan i'll pick it up i was trying i'm like you know in my mind no i'll wait i'll wait for the you know i'll have the individual issues and then i'll have the 12 collected but i'm such a sucker for the watchman that i will probably pick this up and you know and that's a testament to how good the story was, you know, or is, I should say, because it's still going on. Yeah, I was skeptical getting into it because bringing, you know, the Watchmen characters into DC Universe, as much as I love the idea, Watchmen is such a sacred text. But the art and the writing has just been exceptional. So, yeah, I will probably end up picking this up. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me a sucker or not, but, yeah, it'll probably end up in my library. Actually, Brad, I think you might have just perfectly vocalized the challenge and process of decision-making that faces most DC comic fans when it comes to whether or not they're buying part one, part two, or just waiting for the full 12. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Yeah. Listen, guys, I, I, I talk to you, and it feels like I'm speaking to, to siblings <laughs> that were separated at birth from me because you all sound just like what my brain is thinking. Um, I'm actually kind of glad they're doing it in two parts, first of all, because with these interminable delays, I am actually wearing out uh, my original issues because I keep rereading them. Right. You have I want to be to, yeah. fresh. <laughs> with a new issue when it comes out so yeah i've got the individual <laughs> issues yes i'm gonna buy part one yes i'm gonna buy part two i'm gonna buy the 12 issue collection i'm gonna buy the absolute edition because <laughs> i am that invested and yeah. so absolutely like with watchmen brad seriously dude did you climb into my brain when i heard that jeff johns was gonna bring the watchman characters into dc universe i thought don't you bleeping dare. How, what? <laughs> Stop that right now. No, 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 no. Because I picked up before Watchmen, and while some of it was actually surprisingly good, some of it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So mm, I wasn't best pleased. But again, let the storyteller tell his story from issue one of Doomsday Clock. Yeah. This is a guy who's loved Watchmen as much as we do. This is a guy who knows these characters. Um, the fact that I actually guessed who the new Rorschach was through clever little hints and stuff like that, and then rereading the original Watchmen for the 178th time and spotting the, the psychologist <laughs> actually you know, uh, with the world's greatest dad on it. I thought, yep, I know who you are. Yeah, uh, yeah. So 
I'm actually pleased. Yes, DC, you can have every ounce of money that I own. <laughs> I'm going to throw it all at you. Give me the books. Give me the TV shows. Give me the DC Universe. Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay, listen, tell you what, just take my house. I'll come and live in your basement and, and read everything you throw. Well, that's a quick announcement for DC Comics News. Please clear room on the couch in your basement. Steve will be moving in. From what I understand, he might be bringing only part of his comic book collection for you just to have nearby. So there's a chance you might need to make a little more room. (laughs) And Steve, while I appreciate that you both have been climbing into my brain while talking about the points that you've listed, I just need you to do me a favor and keep all the doors marked. Do not open closed because while you're in there, I just don't want to scare anybody because, yes, (laughs) Not only did you reach into my brain when you mentioned before Watchmen, um, I experienced almost the exact same thing, which was there were moments when it was so brilliant, touching and poignant that I thought, okay, you have a reason for doing this project. And then other times when it missed the mark completely. And all I could think to myself was, why did you do this to me? Why do you hurt the things I love like this? And my same fears existed with the announcement of Doomsday Clock, because I thought, look, if you get all the things you got right, great. But if you make as many misses as I felt in Before Watchmen, I'm just going to be disappointed again. And I don't want to see that happen to, as has been pointed out, such a sacred text. I mean, Alan Moore did something and everyone else has been trying to answer the question he raised, which is, can there be a way forward from this story that essentially destroyed the comic book heroes that were featured in it and starring it? And everyone who has tried has had some measure of success. Jeff Johns, I think, has you know, really had more than I expected. And yes, I also have to Mm -hmm. agree with the fact that what we've seen in these first six issues, as far as a a storyline, make for a great collection. Not only that, but all the additional material that's gone with it from the moments when we've seen this great additional, uh, you know, either sketches or other imagery that that really helps complete a collection like this that makes it feel, I don't know, Not like it's something that's just being scraped together, but it's almost them saying, look, we could wait until we had so many more issues. But if you want to collect all of this information together, we have to do it honestly in two collections, because otherwise, what are we talking about here? 250 page tome right from the get go. You know, we're breaking it in half. We admit it. We accept it. Oh, and there's some delays along the line that have nothing to do with that. Moving right along. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's coincidence it was a coincidence no, no nothing to do with that at all yeah you know you <laughs> know it like, just feels it, it it feels that way and and yeah, that's the butterfly all. batted its wings in beijing and there was a tornado in oklahoma nothing to do with each other complete random happenstance <laughs> and these things are gonna happen and you know we're gonna accept and we're gonna go with it and as steve mentioned first collection it has brad admitted first collection second collection completed third collection down the road i mean dc give us what i want give us what we want we'll give you our money we're we're clearly happy to do so all along the way individuals collected the whole thing um now if you don't have that much room in your closet have no fear dc universe just announced that twenty thousand plus comics from its library are now available through the dc universe app and I don't know how everyone else reacted. 
I'm going to go ahead and hold back on my cheerful exultations for just a few moments to hear Brad and Steve and then come back to. Brad, what did you think when you first heard this news? I, You know, one of the major complaints that when DC Universe launched was that they did not have a lot of comics. And tw- releasing 20,000, I think it's great. Um, like we were saying, the shows are so good. And I, I really just want to see this uh, service succeed. So I was happy to see 20,000, 40,000, 100,000 release them all. And And personally, I don't. With comics, it's definitely something that I like in my hands. So even though personally, I don't think that that's a selling point for me. I think that it is for a lot of fans, and I think it's a great thing. And who could argue with that? Yes. Yeah, so um, twenty thousand comics, eh? And I can't read a damn single one of them because I'm in England and I don't get the DC Universe app, and I hate you all. <laughs> no, but seriously, oh, I like comics. <laughs> <laughs> I do like comics. I do prefer <laughs> the physical ones. I, I must be honest. Um, but the chance to get all that gorgeous DC stuff and listening to you guys last week with the fact you can get it on the Xbox on your mm-hmm. big giant 40 inch TV screen and it zooms to the panel and to the dialogue. I just want to cry because the gods may be, be born somewhere that isn't America and I'm not happy. So I'm going to go and have a cry. Seth, please speak. I I will, if only because not only is it my turn, but because I'm the one responsible for that. I was the one who was giddily, gleefully um, and unapologetically bragging about it. It was the longbow hunters, man. I mean, I'd had the chance to meet Mike Grell over the summer. He really made an impression on me. Just this conversation, just such a sweet, thoughtful person, just you know, completely aware of the fact that he's giving you his time and not caring at all that it it's not something he's, you know, trying to charge you for. Um, but also just the fact that after speaking with him, it's like I hear his voice when I'm reading Green Arrow and then being able to see it on the big screen like that. It was like I could hear him telling me the story as I read through it, like he was Oliver Queen talking to me about everything happening. It, it made it almost cinematic in that way. And while my intent was not to make you jealous, my actual goal in eventuality is to make it so that this is part of the anticipation for all the great things that England has provided to the world. We're sorry that this one is short in its time and including coming Including Alan Moore. Including Alan Moore. And and bless you for that, sir. We we are continually in your debt. We shall always be in your debt. There are so many more we could list and and we would not be wrong to do so. But on this one aspect, we we, we fail you in the delivery of the service, but we have succeeded in raising your anticipation of all the things you'll get to enjoy when it finally gets to you. How about that? Of course, I think it was totally you that's stopping the launch of DC Universe <laughs> around the world. So I do blame you totally for this, not Warner Brothers or DC. It's all your fault because you've got the Xbox and you could see the Longbow Hunters on your TV. And I love that comic. And now you've made me even more than that. I know it's not awful. Yeah. <laughs> But, I just um, thought I'd listen, step in for a minute, take the punches for him for a sec, you know. Poor what kids. you can do to, to, to make me feel better is to write a letter every day, uh, twice on Sundays, to DC, telling them 
to pull their fingers out of their bottoms and release the DC Universe streaming service all over the globe. And no, it's not a flat earth. It's a globe. And then I'll be happy. You know what, Steve? I'm going to go ahead and just say this right now for anybody listening. Don't let us take this on just as the three people we are talking. If you believe in the cause that Steve is raising right now, get out your paper. Believe! Get out your paper. Get out your phone. Get out your laptop. Get out your desktop. And start writing. Because I guarantee we've already said on at least a couple occasions in this conversation just what you, the fans, can do. We believe in you. We believe in us. Come on. Now, without trying to dwell on the things that we don't have, let's celebrate the things we all get to enjoy. And one of those that's coming out for comic book fans is the announcement that a new crisis will actually be affecting the characters in the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. There's a lot to go into, but I'm just going to start it off with the idea of amalgamation and allow Brad to pick it up from there what did you think about this story brad i i think the amalgamation it's nothing that we haven't seen before um maybe not these particular characters but the idea of it um but that does not mean that it's not going to be fun to read and it's not going to be a fun take on on it the joker shredder smiling man amalgam seems really interesting um so uh, it does make me a little more curious to check it out i'm still kind of on the fence with this so so we'll see but it does kind of pick my interest a little more steve yeah you know that i'm a huge batman fan i don't know if i've mentioned that maybe once or twice um, over the <laughs> course of my life something uh, you know hints yeah, it's, it's hint. yeah. <laughs> it's, it comes out in passing every now and then but i'm also a huge uh teenage mutant ninja turtles nerd but more so the original eastman laird black and white indie uh teenage mutant ninja turtles fan so when i heard that that there's going to be an involvement from one of the original creators and then a couple of weeks back, about a month back now, they tease these images with this ninja-looking Batman and um, the turtles as different aspects of Robin. One's Dick Grayson, one's Jason Todd, one's Tim Drake, one's Damian Wayne. I thought, this is different. And now I've heard that they're starting the whole story in like an Elseworlds or Crisis universe where the characters, the situations emerge. And it's not New York City. It's not Gotham City. It's New Gotham City. Dude, I could not have got more excited because I, I devoured the first two volumes. This is the third volume in the trilogy. I even devoured the animated one, the Teenage Mutant, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures uh, series by Matt Manning. And just you just wouldn't think that these characters would work together. But when you think the Batman is in essence, a ninja, but with a bat motif and this whole history with the league of assassins and league of shadows, and everything else, it's just, they're made to measure. These guys work in darkness. They fight evil ninjas. This is a match made in heaven. And now that they are actually literally blending the two universes into one where the Robins are the turtles and he's the older brother and mentor, Dude, I just think, what? How come nobody's thought of this before? This is magic. <laughs> um, yep, I'm. I bought the first two series, and I bought the trade paperbacks. And <laughs> this is a very familiar story. So I'm going to shut up, Seth. Please save me from myself. 
My pleasure to do so. Uh, although, really, it's it's more fun just hearing about all the ways that you've committed to every aspect. <laughs> Whether it's, it's been said that I should actually be committed, actually, on more than one occasion. Thanks. <laughs> and my friend, it's only because of your committed passion, and that's that's the best thing you can have when it comes to characters like these and appreciating this great mixture. I mean. Everything about it, for me, makes me smile. You know, Splinter and Alfred, uh, Joker and Shredder, the smiling man. Right, and the smiling clan. The smiling clan just sounds downright creepy. It sounds like something that could live on beyond this series. Like, so many great sort of concepts that come, and they're like, oh, it's happening off over here, and everybody's going, that was so cool. Wouldn't it be great if you brought it over to the big universe and then they make it happen? And I feel like maybe the Smiling Man Smiling Clan is one of those things that that we can see. I don't know if that would get my interest as much, though, as the idea <laughs> that's discussed in the interview where it's um, and Steve, help me out here. It's James Tynan, right? Tynan. Yeah. Thank you. James yes. Tynan says. I just had this image of the anti-monitor with Krang in his belly. Yep. <laughs> uh, <that's>, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, there's a mixture of like mirth and maybe some, you know, a bit of seriousness. But overall, yeah. yes, exactly. Like what an ugly, horrific, violently dangerous combination. <laughs> and, and also about how to take this to such a core aspect of DC comics. You don't, get into few things much more sacred than crisis right it's it sort of has this you know i mean it's in many ways it's a you know seminal work that's part of the canon it sort of like identifies everything that's great wonderful and also challenging about big stories um but that to mix you know a classic character and to make him more than just what he might have been seen in the animated series or in versions in the comics, but to make him on the same level as the Anti-Monitor, at that moment, you've really elevated the degree of storytelling, the degree of the risks involved, and the scale on which it's taking on. And you're setting it all up in this combined world, as you mentioned, New Gotham, you know, Batman with his brethren who are all versions of Robin merged with the Turtles and this great combination of them. It's really hard not to enjoy the idea that this could be something that airs on the side of comical, but instead creates the the fearful, the terrifying, the, you know, threatening idea of this. And and by Mm -hmm. doing so, it's almost like the idea of turning a clown creepy when you do it the right way. There's nothing more terrifying. Right. And who can think of a more villainous clown than the joker (laughs) you know and and for all the ways that we've interpreted shredder adding that sort of element of the joker to him just seems to make him that much more not only compelling but dangerous i would imagine here here it's time that again is this writer who like you two guys and like joe and joshua it seems to like of 
pulled things directly out of my brain without my permission. I mean, when he was writing detective comics, uh, the fact he brought back Tim Drake, he brought back Azrael, he gave the team a home and a cave and a round table and they were the Gotham Knights and all that kind of cool stuff. And now, now he's writing Justice League Dark and he's going back to Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and Detective Chimp and Blue Devil and all those great comics that I used to adore uh, in, in my early 20s and uh, in, in my late teenage years in the 90s. And now he's doing Crisis on Infinite Earths with Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Dude! That's so totally tubular. (laughs) DC doesn't throw the word crisis around willy nilly, so (laughs) it's gonna have some. It's a mainstay. It's become the thing that DC is known for, but now they're doing it with turtles. And what an exciting concept to imagine and to experience when we get a chance to see the books. And what a great sort of, you know, lasting topic for us to wrap up with. Um, I wanted to just give a chance to see if while we were going along, if there was anything about any of the topics we've covered today that maybe you forgot to add, didn't get a chance to add, have been thinking about since we talked about it and would love to slip it in before we wrap up today. I'm going to be honest. I actually have what I forgot about. And we were talking about it, and I want to add mine in. But before I do, Brad or Steve, was there any one of the stories we came across today and we're talking about where there was something, hey, let me just add this one more thought or anything along those lines? Brad, I'm going to offer it up to you first. As someone who has a Watchmen tattoo, I, you know, just going back to the whole um, Doomsday Clock thing, I don't think that I've had a reaction from reading a comic in decades the way i did when i got to the last page of i think it was the last page of the rebirth special when batman finds the smiley face pin yes i mm. lost my i mean i i was like almost <laughs> in line at the store i almost turned around to everybody did you see this like that image of him holding that button blew my mind i i i still think back to that and like that's what i read comics for it's moments like it's moments like that nice same with the last couple of pages of the button where um you see the cogs and the blue hand reaching out and picking up yeah the button. and i thought yeah. oh they, this is happening this is this is really happening <laughs> Um, they're gonna do it exactly so yeah they've actually this is real i'm not dreaming this this is actually happening but i wanted to add something to the swamp thing story guys and please do i don't know if you're familiar with with the alan moore stories but but brad um are you not extremely scared nervous excited about how they're going to portray anton arcane and yeah, I was going to go through his entire transformation. At first, he's just a nice old man who then turns out to be a crazy mad scientist stroke necromancer wizard who wants to live forever. And the grotesque transformations he goes through. Um, so if they're going to go down that route, then that's one of the reasons I do think that the possessed girl is the girl from the middle period or something, because he goes through one of his greatest transformations during that it's tied into that story. So are we going to see every iteration of Anton Arcane as, as Swamp Thing um, 
loses his humanity but then refines his human soul in the muck encrusted body are we going to see the human being slowly become the most hideous evil monster there is um that's something I, i'm dying to see spread out i mean because they couldn't do it in movies that has to be done over to you that has to be episodic that has to be something that needs to be a saga I'll are you, you excited that, about that that what you just brought to my mind makes me think of breaking bad because you can yes, see him be an yes. innocent guy and completely break bad and go completely the other direction and end up the man who knocks so i would i would love if that was the case oh like it agreed oh, could you and you know Ray actually Harry, oh yeah Brian cranston as anson arcane damn <laughs> there you go cool. But you've actually brought up something that, uh, you know, I was reminded of, which was that Arcane was one of those characters that I never got the best grasp on. And that in preparation for watching this, uh, that would be something that would really benefit me is going back to the Alan Moore series and taking a look at that. And then from there, trying to, you know, create a foundation for myself about that character, because my experiences and interactions created a lot more mystery than understanding for me. And that actually uh, didn't allow me to sink in as deeply to the Swamp Thing stories that I read. And it's something that I think would really make a difference for me. Uh, I'll be honest, when I was younger, I didn't feel that I had the wherewithal to get into Swamp Thing. I felt like I was still, you know, gaining my maturity. And that in the process, I was learning how to develop that through titles like, like The Watchmen. Um, but I felt that, you know, I was I was close and I I'm reminded now that I don't think I realized how much time had passed since I, you know, pushed myself away that way. And I think I'm at a point where I can, you know, dig into it now and really sort of prepare myself to enjoy the show with that that level of understanding. So I think that's you know, I really appreciate that you brought that up, Steve, because I don't think I would have thought of it on my own until you mentioned Arcane. Well, and then the moment you did, it just really triggered for me. What I honestly would say, actually, Seth, is don't go straight into the Alan Moore. Um, I don't think you can pick up the um, the middle period anymore because it wasn't that popular. I don't think it's ever been collected. But honestly, it's not that essential. But do please start with Roots of the Swamp Thing, the Len Wein, Bernie Wrights, and oh, the original yeah, stuff. So good. Okay. Because that's when you'll see the original transformation and this quest, almost like the Hulk TV show of the eighties where this man's just trying to find a cure and you'll right. see the introduction of Anton Arcane and you'll see his slow uh, deterioration and, and, and his, him dooming himself to, to be the ultimate monster, even though he doesn't start off that way. And it's like this parallel journey that the both characters uh, lead together. So please start off with the because even though some would say it's slightly dated, I still think there's a charm and a magic to those original stories and, and bernie wrightson's art i don't care is timeless that that yeah. art is still today it's it's what everything else based itself off so start with those then go to the animal because when you read and brad will back me up on this when you read the anatomy lesson and you find out the truth about alec holland and swamp thing i want you to feel the same way i did when i read holy damn that is the best thing I have ever read because something happens in the middle of something's life that totally throws not just his 
world upside down but the world of every reader who's been following his adventures for the last 10 plus years upside down and i want you to get the full experience pick up the original Wien and Wrightson, then go to the alan moore because it'll have a much more impact and you'll fall in love with these characters the same way we did uh, would you agree brad yeah absolutely i i always got a feel from the rights and lynn ween era that it was kind of Harking back to the EC Comics horror days, almost, in a way. Exactly uh, that. And yes. if you like those kind of stories, I think that's, you would love it. And that it sounds really great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate that. That's and I think us. anybody listening would enjoy, you know, knowing that that's the direction they can start out to sort of, you know, get ready for what they think they know and what they should know when it comes to enjoying swamp thing when he's on the screen um that's extremely helpful thank you guys i I really appreciate both of you you know um providing those examples and the reasonings behind them as sort of like a guideline um and then i just wanted to steer a brother wrong we do not want to steer a brother wrong yes (laughs) and and i really appreciate that because i i know i want to go into it you know in the most uh profitable way possible and by profitable i mean for my own not only knowledge but experience yeah as a as a comic fan and as a reader um and i just wanted to bring this up because it was something that was on my mind while we were talking about pennyworth and it totally slipped from my brain and then i just realized as we were going somewhere i was like "Ah, i wanted to say that because it was something that came up as part of the conversation that you guys were providing uh while we were talking about the trailer and that was that there are some DC characters that come to mind that I think would show up in Pennyworth that would be a lot of fun to see, given that they could fit that time period. And I just wanted to get some reaction from you, what you thought about these ideas. And the first two that came to mind were the Blackhawks and the Unknown Soldier. Yeah. Oh, Unknown Soldier would be. You know what I mean? Because we know that both of those things came from a wartime era and then moved into something that falls more into the espionage side. Right. And then even from that into the fantastical. And I love that recently they even brought in the unknown soldier when they were doing damage series and he's made some brief appearances here and there. But it also made me think of the question. And if there was any other comic book characters who could maybe have come out from that. uh, Oh, goodness. The comic book company that he came from is escaping me right now. It starts with a C. Charles Charlton. Thank you. So anybody who we maybe could consider that could also fall out because, you know, not only with them, but I also think of timeless characters. Who's that? Nightshade. She was a spy. Thank you. Nightshade. I also wonder about Guardian, you know, who's Mm -hmm. had sort of a timeless existence based on, you know, whether he is or is not. I don't know about a timeless thing, but some kind of iteration of the human target. There we go. Thank you, Brad. So, yeah, those were just some possibilities that started to pop up for me. And the first ones that came to mind were something that I could identify with wartime moving into peacetime slash espionage. And it seemed like Blackhawk, unknown soldier question would feel really, you know, great characters to sort of put in that time period and and cast them in that light. Yeah, I agree. This is the dawn of, of, of science as well. I mean, after the Second mm-hmm. World War and the atom bomb, so the challenges of the unknown, even a young oh, yeah. Nazi older. Well said. Dude. Well, bringing Dude. up the science thing, Dude. some Throw kind my of mind. Yeah, some kind of um, ancestor, not necessarily ancestor, but great grandfather or whatever of say 
Hugo Strange. Yes. Would could also work. Yes. Oh, so many possibilities. I'm feeling. I mean, let's think about this. An immortal enemy of the Batman's, a certain Al Ghul. Um, he's been around for centuries. Oh yeah. <laughs> what about the introduction of early versions of characters or ancestors of someone like, say, the KG Beast, or yes. uh, you know, somebody else who falls into that either in Batman that or the mythos? <sighs> Correct. Not only that, but remember that some of these characters that we experience in big teams like the Justice Society. I mean, Dr. Midnight was a doctor. Yes. Right? I was thinking and, Dr. Midnight, too. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's a few other characters who had these alter egos when they weren't part of the Justice Society or some other team who their alter egos alone would make great, compelling can, stories and characters to bring into I that just, world. Can I just say that I really hope the showrunner of Pennyworth is listening to this podcast because we just gave him some great ideas. That Let's tag him. It. Yeah, <laughs> We're going to find him on social media. Uh, the showrunners are. We've got some great ideas. And you can send the royalty checks care of DC Comics News <laughs> and uh, we'll be happily awaiting those so we can spend them on comics. And you know what? We're such great guys. We'll split them three ways. And of course, because he's our editor, Josh can pick up the 10% and everything will be, you know, rosy, just rosy. Uh, you know, thanks, guys. That was a fun thing. I just really wanted to add in and also sort of thank you. That blowed my yes. mind again. <laughs> if we can have fun and provide as much laughter in our conversation as we hope others are experiencing when they're listening to us. I mean, really, I think it's a benefit for everybody all around. Plus, can you imagine the ideas they're thinking of listening to us while they're hearing this right now that could I be the fun part that they share i want royalty checks i want money <laughs> <laughs> hey with all of that again as we've said it would be easy to just keep going but we value your time the same way we value our time and i'm gonna let these fine gentlemen who have done such a great job of helping me out and talking about all these great things go but before i do I'm going to leave us all with the following. One is that DC Comics News is available on all major podcast platforms, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please head over and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. I think five stars is amazing. Go ahead and try and argue with me. Follow us on social media if you want to leave us a comment, a thought, or anything else about what you're hearing or what you're reading from the content that's coming right from DC Comics News, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, at DC Comics News. I'd also like to take the opportunity to allow Brad and Steve to let you know where they can be found somewhere out there in the ether of the digital, social media, or other aspects of the world. Brad, where can we find you, my friend? Find me on DC Comics News, writing reviews and news stories. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, FlickyB1, although I don't tweet too often, but I am trying to change that. And you can find me on DC Comics News as well, uh, writing news, reviews and interviews. And on our sister site, Dark Knight News, where I'm editor-in-chief. And you can get all mainly focused on the Bat Family related news there. And on Tinternet, on the Twitter, at Stevo. That's at E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. 
Wow. I wish I could even attempt to try something as cool as the Twitter. But you know what, Steve? You, you do it better than me every time, and I'm thankful that you do it so I can just hear it and be thankful that I got to hear it. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. Um, this is the DC Comics News Podcast. You can also find me hosting the uh, DC Comics News Spinner Rack once a week. And for anything else related to what I do, look for the word Seth Singleton and Storyteller in a search engine and find me whatever way you want. And as always, we'd like to leave you with that reminder to read more comics. <laughs>